having like an inflated ego, like everyone's a human, you know, if you think about it, like we're not that much different from each other. And the pastor at our church has talked about humility being the virtue that leads to all other virtues. What is humility? Allowing yourself to kind of like look back on yourself, maybe like reflect and try to do better. I would say humility is knowing your small place in the grand scheme of things and not making your existence a bigger deal than it needs to be. Humility was you're not putting yourself into the, the, the answer or the conversation. Being great without making sure everyone knows you're great. Ah, uh, that was that was like a mic drop one. That was very, very good. All right. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Man, it's so good to see you. You seem like an excited bunch today. It looks like you're excited to be here, anticipating what God's going to do. Uh, I'm excited you're here. I want to welcome those of you joining us online. Great to have you as well. Now, if you've been tracking with us the last few weeks, you know we're in a series called Love Like Jesus. The first part of this series is based on these powerful words that came off the pen of the prophet Micah. In Micah 6, 8, he, he, he tells God's people he, to be people who act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Now, speaking of walking humbly, there were a few of us who did some of that last week at the Chicago Marathon, right? I... I want to give a little shout out to uh, my teammates uh, who, 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 man, who, who did whatever it took to find that finish line last week at the Chicago Marathon. I thought I'd give you a, qu a couple quick highlights. Uh, it was back in May that we shared this vision with the church that what if, what if we did something that we don't even think that we're capable of doing, like taking on the Chicago Marathon, and what if we did that with a particular purpose? And if you remember the why that we cast the vision for back last May, it was really all about identifying a particular need that one of our global partners identified in the northwest region of the country of India called Rajasthan. And in that area, it's the largest state by landmass in the country of India. It has access to less than 1% of the country's clean water. It's, it's a massive, massive need. And so we, we decided to ask people to come and to move their feet, to raise money, to provide clean water for that particular part of the world. There were over 400 people that said yes last May, which was amazing. 400 people that, that worked, that trained, that battled through injury, did, did all that kind of stuff, and that showed up last weekend uh, at the start line of the Chicago Marathon full of all kinds of anxiety, full of all kinds of nerves, but really committed to do world-changing types of things. Uh, our youngest member of our team was a 17-year-old student right here, part of our high school ministry, named Jacob. He was awesome. Uh, uh, the oldest member of our team uh, is 72 years young, named Mary Alice, I think, who's in this service, right? And, and all kinds of people in between. So if you would do this, if you participated in any way... Uh, whether you made it to the start line or not, we know that there are a lot of people who train, they raise money, but for whatever reason, because of injury or other things, they weren't able to actually do the marathon. But if you were a part of this team in any way, would you just stand to your feet that we can acknowledge you? Well done. Well done. 
Are you guys walking okay now? Still humble walking? We're still humble walking seven days later. That's all right. Uh, I, I want to share with you some really, really cool news. I had no idea the amount of money that we might raise for clean water efforts. But as of this morning, literally I checked it right before I walked up here. As of this morning, $748,198 was raised for clean water. If you would have told me that three quarters of a million dollars would be raised to provide clean water to 15,000 kids, I would have told you you were crazy. Uh, I think that as I lean into really what God did, I think this is another one of those only God moments at Willow Creek. And so we're really, really grateful uh, for all of you who really pulled together your efforts to do an amazing, amazing thing. All right, back to loving like Jesus. This group of people embody what it looks like to, to love like Jesus. Uh, but this series, as I mentioned earlier, is really anchored in this passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. It comes off of the, the pen of the prophet Micah. Micah 6.8, he says this. Uh, it's going to show up on the screen for you. He says this. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what, the, what does the Lord require of you? So basically asking this question, like if you boil it all down, like what, what's God really interested in his people doing? What does God require of you? And here's his response, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now I would argue that it's not just one of these things, but it truly is a three-legged stool. Okay, everybody, you got the three-legged stool, right? Now, if you were here with us week one, I think that Pastor Dave did an amazing job, which, by the way, Dave did find the finish line of the Chicago Marathon. We're excited about that. Well done, Dave. Dumb it. But if you were here week one, uh, Dave did a masterful job talking about really looks like what it looks like for us to be people who act justly. And what it means is that there are things in this world that aren't quite right. And the people of God recognize that we have a commitment to do what is right. Now, you can't get away from Scripture, this notion that God's heart is always for the vulnerable. God's heart is for the poor. God's heart is for those who may not have the same opportunity that others have. It's a part of acting justly. This has been true not just in our day. This has been true for thousands and thousands of years, is God trying to right wrongs in our world. And the people of God partnering with God to right wrongs in the world. And to take those that the world tends to push down, and God likes to lift up those who are vulnerable. It's part of what it looks like to act justly. But it doesn't stop there. If you're here last week... I think Megan did an amazing, amazing job talking about what it looks like to love mercy. Now, I wasn't here in person last week just because I was on the streets of Chicago. However, I went back and watched her message. She did an amazing job talking about what it looks like to love mercy. And she talked about it. It's not just about doing mercy. It's about loving mercy. She defined mercy as when we don't get what we deserve. Now, I think about that, and I like when I receive mercy, right? I like when I don't get the speeding ticket even though I deserved it. I like when, you know, I don't get the bad grade because I didn't study for the test. I got something different. I like when I get mercy. But really, I like other people to get what they deserve, truly, right? And I think most of us are wired that, that way. But if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus loved mercy. One of the things that, that said about Jesus over and over again is Jesus was full of compassion. He was full of mercy. It drove so much of who he was and what he did. And so if we look at these two, first two pieces, the act justly and to love mercy, 
when it comes to loving like Jesus, we don't get to pick and choose which one we want to do. It really is about embodying both. And if we choose one and not the other, I would say we're not loving like Jesus. For example, you may know people who have a justice bent to them. I mean, they're fired up to make stuff right, but they do it in such a way, with such aggression, with such what feels like almost hatred, that you know that's not what it means to love like Jesus. On the contrary, I also know people who are so full of love, so full of compassion, but sometimes are willing to compromise what is actually right in order to just keep things somewhat peaceful. And I think that what Jesus is getting at, if we want to love like Jesus, it's it's embodying both. To do what is right, but do what is right in a merciful, compassionate way. But today I want to look at the third leg of this stool. Again, I would suggest that you can't actually stop with just justice and mercy, that there's this third leg of the stool that Micah gets us to, which is about walking humbly with your God. What does it look like, and what does it mean to walk humbly? Here's why I believe the third leg of the stool matters so much. I think it's possible to do the first two well, But if you miss this third, again, I would argue that it's not loving like Jesus. It's possible to act justly and even do it in a compassionate way, but if it's void of walking with God, if it's void of a faith connection, it's nothing more than philanthropy that's disconnected from any form of spirituality. There are a lot of people that do good in our world, but do good in our world not in the name of God. But God says, I want to be people, I want you to be my people who represent justice, who represent mercy, but also represent me. I think there's another way we can actually be misguided if we get the first two, but we don't get the last one. I think it's possible to act justly, to love mercy, even in the name of God, but to do it with such staunch spiritual arrogance that it just leaves people with a bad taste in their mouth about who God is and what God is like. And that's where the walk humbly with God really matters. So today we're going to talk a little bit about this third piece, but again, I would say if we're going to truly love like Jesus, it's not embodying one of these tenets, it's not embodying two, but it truly is learning to stand on all three of these tenets. I would say to love like Jesus is to be able to stand on that stool. But what does it look like to truly be embodied with humility, like like walking humbly with God? I think maybe we can boil it down to this. I saw a t-shirt that somebody was wearing one time that said, Theology 101, there is a God, and on the back the t-shirt said, and you are not him. (laughs) Right? There is a God. And you are not him. Humility is living in that reality, living in that truth. There's probably a lot of markers that we would be able to uh, attach to humility. You know, humility is when when we recognize again that the God is God and we are not him. Humility is when we recognize our own weakness and are willing to live in his strength. Humility is when we recognize that there is no task too small for us, that we're willing to do anything and everything to serve people and our God. Humility acknowledges when we make mistakes and when we mess up. Humility tends to undergird 
everything else that we need to build ourselves, our lives on. And so we want to be people who act justly, who love mercy, who ultimately walk humbly. Now, in order to really begin to lean into what that looks like and, and what humility looks like, I want to take us to a New Testament passage of Scripture. It's one of the more famous passages that relates to humility because it talks about the humility of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. If you'd like to look it up on a phone or a device or something like that, again, Philippians chapter 2, this powerful, powerful statement about the humility of Jesus and who he is. Here's what it says. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 starts this way. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. That, that fundamentally, that's what humility is all about. It's, it's, it's not looking to your own interests, but, but looking to the interests of of others. And so when we begin to lean into Philippians chapter 2, we learn a couple of powerful spiritual principles. Here's the first. Pride distorts my perspective. If I live in the antithesis of humility, pride tends to distort my perspective. Now, how many of you have been around somebody that you would say were totally full of themselves? Okay. How many of you are sitting next to... No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to tell you to sit next to the person. But, but we've all been around people who kind of, they come across as though they're totally full of themselves. Uh, sometimes we even see that in certain celebrities or certain figures in our culture. Somebody that comes to mind for me is a guy by the name of Kanye West. Now, to be fair to Kanye, I don't know Kanye personally. I don't know Kanye's heart. Maybe his heart is not full of pride. I don't really know. But what he puts out in Twitter makes me kind of scratch my head at times. I thought I would share with you a couple of things that Kanye West has said about himself on Twitter. I'm not making this stuff up. It says this. Kanye said about himself, you may be talented, but you're not Kanye West. Well done. Okay, here's another one. He says, I am the number one human being in music. That means any person that's living or breathing is number two or worse. But here's my favorite. Here's my personal favorite. He says this, my greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. <laughs> I don't even know what else to say there, right? Pride has this ability to distort my perspective of myself. Now, now you may have heard the phrase, there's no I in team, but there is an I in pride, and it's right in the middle. And I would say that what's what pride ultimately does is it puts I at the center that everything else revolves around me. That's what pride ends up doing. I would even go as far to say that it displaces God as center of my life. What pride does is it puts myself at the center of my marriage. It puts myself at the center of my workplace. It puts myself at the, the center of my family, at the center of my church, at the center of my finances. Here's the challenge with that. I was never intended to be the center of anything. God was always to be the one who was the center of everything. And when I put myself as the center of everything, I displace God's position in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my workplace, in my finances, in every other arena of life. When I'm at the center, God is no longer at the center. And the challenge is, not only does that distort my view of other people, that wreaks havoc in my life if I choose to live that way. If you think about it in a marriage, when I put myself as the center of marriage, 
I will forfeit any opportunity to have intimacy, connection, joy, fulfillment in that relationship. Because those things can only be found when we give of ourselves to someone else. If I'm all about myself, I don't have the ability to form good connection, to have true intimacy, to experience joy. Pride ends up eroding every aspect of the relationship. Sometimes you'll hear people in marriages that are struggling. They will say things like, they don't care about me, they only care about themselves. Because pride actually destroys relationships. The same is true within our places of work. Uh, If you've ever tried to be in a partnership with somebody who is totally full of themselves, nobody wants to be their teammate. Nobody wants to work on the project with them. Nobody wants to kind of share anything with them because they're, they're only focused on themselves and their own ambition. But I would argue, even in the workplace, our ability to experience fulfillment and purpose in what we do is non-existent when I'm at the center of everything. Because if even like purpose, fulfillment can only be found in life when we engage our life with something bigger than ourselves. When we displace ourselves as center, that we put God as center, it's the only time that we will find fulfillment and purpose in anything in life. And so I will go as far to say that when we put I at the center of everything, it actually ends up wreaking havoc, destroying relationships, hindering our ability to find fulfillment and purpose in anything meaningful in life. Now, pride shows up in a couple of ways, one that is very obvious and one that's a little bit more subtle. Now, the one that's more obvious is pride shows up sometimes in in people that that come across really, really arrogant, really, really full of themselves, Uh, people who just feel like that they're just flat out better than everybody else, and it's obnoxious. Uh, We don't want to be around people who who tend to, to, to go about life in that way. And that's the more obvious way that pride shows up, but I will go as far to say that there's what I would call pride in reverse. But it's no less a form of pride. There's another group of people that tends to beat themselves up all the time, who feels like that they're not worth it, who feels like they don't have any value. And you say, how is that prideful, Sean? Well, the reality is that person is just as consumed with themselves as the person who's staunchly arrogant. C.S. Lewis says it this way, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is learning how to think of yourself less. And whether I'm fully arrogant or whether I'm completely self-deprecating, the truth is those two extreme postures are consumed with oneself. And pride has this ability to distort my perspective of myself, of others, and God. And so God brings in humility ultimately to rescue us from ourselves. And so I think the second principle we'll learn from the book of Philippians chapter 2 is is simply this, that we got to learn to humble ourselves or we will be humbled. Life tends to work like that. That we will either choose humility or we'll get to eat a piece of humble pie at some point in our journey. Uh, Maybe you've heard the phrase, pride goes before the fall. That comes from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs says it this way in, in chapter 16. It says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. And so in other words, if you don't humble yourself, at some point in life, you will likely be humbled. 
And more often than not, humility through life circumstances comes through humiliation. It's generally not too fun to experience. It uh, reminds me of a story uh, about a football coach. How many of you have heard of the, the football coach, Chan Gailey? Uh, coached the Dallas Cowboys maybe for, for a couple years. Now, somebody's a Cowboy fan. Give it up for the one Cowboy fan in the room. But long before Chan Gailey ever coached on the NFL level, he got his start in a more humble place. He, he coached at Troy State. It was a very small school in the state of Alabama. It wasn't a Division I school at the time. It was a Division II school. But that particular uh, year, under his leadership as a coach, they did really, really well. Uh, they were actually uh, in position to play for the national championship in Division II football, which is pretty remarkable. And Chan was about to head out to practice to prepare his team for this national championship when his secretary said, hey, Chan, you've got a phone call. Now, he was a little bit kind of miffed that he would be taken away from this really important task of, of preparing his football team for the national championship. He's like, I tell whoever it is that I don't have time for them. And the secretary said, but, but, but Mr. Gailey, it's Sports Illustrated on the phone. And he thought, Sports Illustrated? I mean, this is a big moment for my team, right? He's a small school. To get the attention of Sports Illustrated as a small school, this would be a huge break for the school. And so he started thinking about the, the cover story that they were going to do about him and his football team. He started thinking a little bit about the different poses that maybe he would pose for the cover of the magazine. Should he do more of an action shot? Should he do a little bit more with the, the team in the background? His mind was stirring about all the different things that he could do to make this article as the cover story of Sports Illustrated the best it could possibly be. Well, he ends up uh, pausing practice for a moment. He runs back into this office to, to catch this call with Sports Illustrated. He picks up the phone, he says, hello. And the person on the other line says, is this Chan Gailey? He said, yes, this is Chan Gailey. And the person says, well, this is Sports Illustrated. We're calling to tell you that your subscription's about to run out. And we, we wanted to know if you wanted to renew. He says, you will either humble yourself or at some point in the journey, you will be humbled, right? And then we all kind of know this because life tends to help us experience this. What I love about Jesus is Jesus didn't have to be humbled because Jesus chose humility. It was in his very nature. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. It says this, uh, in your relationships with one another, have the, the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus never had to be humbled. Because Jesus always embodied humility. That's just who he was and how he lived. So the question for you and me is if we want to be people who choose humility, how do we go about becoming more humble in our approach to life? And maybe because we're in church today, maybe what you would expect that I would say is, well, just go read your Bible more, uh, spend more time in prayer, uh, make sure you're in church every opportunity you possibly can be. But I'm not going to tell you that today. Because the truth is, if we're not careful, that actually can have the opposite effect. How do I know? 
because I've lived it. I remember when I was 22 years old, I just graduated Bible college. I just spent four years of my life where everything that I did was about learning more about Scripture and learning more about the Bible. I spent lots of time in prayer. I spent lots of time doing all the things. But the truth is about me, I became one of the most obnoxiously, spiritually arrogant people that you've ever run across. Because I had it all figured out. I knew all the answers. And if you disagreed with me, you were obviously wrong because you weren't well-schooled like I was in Scripture. I looked down on people. I judged people. I was... I was everything that the world hates about Christians. And so the caution sometimes is, if we want to become more humble, it's not about becoming more religious. If we want to become more humble, it's about becoming more like Jesus. There's a very big difference between becoming religious and becoming more like Jesus. My friends, I don't want you to become more religious. I definitely wants you to become more like Jesus. Let me tell you about this Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be taken for his own advantage. Here's basically what Paul is saying. That Jesus is the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords. He's the one from all of creation was spoken into existence. There is no one who has more power, more authority, more might than the person of Jesus. And yet he never leveraged that to his own advantage, not one time. Instead, he humbled himself. He took on the very nature of a servant being formed in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Here's what he's saying. Not only did God become man, but even at a man, he submitted himself to become the lowest kind of man, the most servant-hearted person that's ever walked the face of the earth, to die even the most humbling death in a criminal's death. It's hard to imagine, it's hard to imagine humility to such epic proportion. But it's about taking on, it's about taking on the heart of Jesus. That if you have position in life, it's a good thing. But don't use your position to push people down. Jesus actually used his position to raise people up. If you have power, whatever the power looks like in life, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Just don't use the power to push people down. Use whatever power that God has given you to lift people up. Whatever influence you have, influence is not a bad thing, but whatever influence you have, steward that influence, not at somebody else's expense, but instead for the sake of someone else. The truth is, pride says that I'm number one and everybody else is not. Humility says God is number one and I am not. Pride says that everybody is a potential threat. Humility says everybody is a potential partner. 
Pride says, I've got to draw my worth and my value through other people's approval. Humility says, I already have value in Jesus, and that's enough. We act justly. We love mercy. But we learn to walk humbly. It's just a little bit early in the service that, that Kyle shared with us as a church. We're very excited to launch our global teams again. I couldn't be more excited about the relaunch of our global teams. I think 17 trips, something like that, going out over this next year that I, I really hope that you prayerfully consider being a part of it in some way. But I hope that you know this is the heart and the posturing of even these global teams. That sure, we want to be a church that acts justly. There are things in our world that aren't right. We want to be a responsive church, right, who acts justly in response to those things. But we want to do it in a merciful way. That we want to love mercy, compassion, be driven by it and how we, uh, how we interact with our, our global partners. But I think this humility piece is really the foundation that everything gets born from. Because we never go into a partner relationship as believing that we're the savior, that we're the answer. We're going we're gonna, to you know, figure it all out for you. Is that humility recognizes there's beauty, great skill, Incredible assets within any and every community. Humility looks to identify what those things are and truly help lift people up. It is what drives us. It is what helps us truly love God, love people to change the world. Pride distorts our perspective. And so we'll either choose the path of humility or uh, likely at some point we'll be humbled but I love kind of the last principle that's anchored in this Philippians chapter 2 passage. And that is simply this. Let's be people who choose to make his name great. Choose people to be people who, who make his name great. Now, candidly, there are moments that I kind of want to make my own name great. Is that a little too honest? And, and there's a tendency, I think, in all of us to kind of want to make our own name great. I, I read this week that we, as a culture, we become infatuated with selfies. And I read that, that, uh, that this week that we, as a, as a whole culture, we take 93 million selfies a day. That's a lot. And candidly, last week at the marathon, I contributed to those 93 million selfies, right? I took a few, I took a lot of them, it was, it was a lot of fun. But I think what's fascinating, as a culture, it, it, it shows us that we've got this amazing fascination, you know, with ourselves. 93 million selfies, that's a lot. And sometimes you'll even talk to young people. I, I've even talked to my kids, and I've, I've, I've asked my kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Remember when the answer to that question was like ice cream man or baseball player? Sometimes you'll ask young people now, what do you want to be when you grow up? And what they'll say is, I want to be a social media influencer. It's fascinating. Because there's something about it that's exciting when, when, when people recognize you, when they think that you're great, when, when people recognize your name, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Now, I want, to be, I, want, I want to be careful and cautious with this, because I think there's some really good in this, and I think there's a, there's, a, there's a danger we have to be eyes wide open to. There's nothing wrong with having influence. There's nothing wrong with having a platform. There's nothing wrong with leveraging that platform to do a lot of good for God in the world, Okay? 
There's something really good about leadership and influence and stewarding that appropriately. I'm not down on that at all. However, I will say there's a danger that's associated with it. Because if we're not careful, the more influence we gain, the bigger the platform we have, the more followers we have, whatever that looks like, there's a, there's a caution that within us, there can awake this desire to be great, to make my name great. Here's the challenge. We were not created to be the objects of other people's glory. We weren't. It actually can have a really, really difficult impact on our own soul. I, I tend to say it this way, that if our character growth, which I think has to be infused with humility, if our character growth doesn't outpace our platform growth, our platform will destroy our character. Can I say that again? If our character growth infused with humility doesn't outpace our platform growth, our platform will actually destroy our character. Uh, Christine Kane says it this way. I like the way she says it. She says, if the light on you is greater than the light in you, the light on you will extinguish the light in you. Well done, Christine Kane. That was good, right? It's a caution that we have to be incredibly, incredibly aware of. I mean, how many more sports figures, celebrities, politicians, spiritual leaders need to fall before we recognize when our platform outpaces our character? It's a recipe for destruction. Because there was only one name that was ever intended to be great. And it isn't my name and it isn't yours. Look what Philippians says. It's, it's, what, it's what Paul writes. It's where he says, therefore God exalted him, meaning Jesus. Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. That in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My friends, there is one name. There's one name. And there's only one name. And my prayer and my hope is that you would live for that one name. My prayer is for us as a church that collectively we would live only for that one name. Uh, it reminds me of a conversation I had at my very first week on staff at Willow Creek. I had the opportunity to overlap with a, with a long-tenured staff that was carrying a lot of the responsibilities that I now hold. And he was so gracious to overlap with me for about a week. And so he just downloaded everything that he knew that he thought might be helpful. It was one of the greatest gifts somebody could give me as I stepped into uh, a leadership role right here at Willow. I have a tremendous, tremendous respect for this person to this day. Amazing, amazing person. But one of the things that he said to me in the you know, week long of downloading to me is he said this. He says, you know, for decades of my time here at Willow on staff, we've been known for our leadership and our influence in this world. He said, I wonder if in this next season we should be known for our humility and sacrifice to this world. There was something about that that struck me, that moved me. But now, honestly, as I even process it more, can I push it one, can I push it a little further? 
You know what I wonder? Why do we feel the need to be known for anything? What is, what is it in our own hearts that, that causes us to, to even feel the need to be known even for being humble? Here's the truth. I'm not interested in my name being great. I don't care if anybody ever knows who I am. Can I tell you how honoring it is to work alongside of a senior pastor and Dave Dummett that's the same? He just, he's a very selfless type of person, doesn't care about his own name. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I love being a part of a church that's just a selfless church. We don't care if people know who Willow Creek is. We just want to be God's hands and feet in our world because it's not about us as leaders. It's not about us as a church. It's about one name, and his name is Jesus. And when we're about Jesus, let's embody our lives to act justly. Let's do what is right in the name of Jesus. To love mercy. To embody the the compassion of the name of Jesus. And to walk humbly. Recognize that His name is the only name that matters. He's at the center. I'm not. Let's pray together. God, we come before you. We love you. God, I acknowledge how often I haven't gotten this one right. God, how often I make it about me, how often I make things about me, how often I put myself in the center. God, I just ask that you would give me and all of us the courage to displace myself in the center because your rightful place is the center of everything. My life, my marriage, my job, this church. God, you're the center of everything. So Father, we yield our lives to you. Empower us as your church to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. God, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.